Hello and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 109. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we're about to go into another lockdown. The main reason for that is that we're in a county with a larger town, so it's really their fault. It definitely won't be as severe as the first one, schools are staying open and we'll still be able to go shopping, but I already wonder if there'll be no flour, bread, toilet paper and pasta like the last time around, or if people will have learned the lesson from the last one. It's allegedly supposed to last until December the 11th, and it will probably be wet until then anyway, so no one will want to go out. It seems to be pretty much the same story everywhere, although I think most people are now clinging to the hope of the vaccine. I wonder where I'll be on the list of priorities. Still lots of questions, of course, like will it be something we have to take every year, but at least it's on the horizon, and we might be able to travel again in the not-too-distant future. Before we get to this week's news, I should tell you who is on the show this week. We chatted with Lasse Jorensen, Senior Commercial Development Manager, Fresh Dairy at Christian Hansen, Jörg Sabo, Global Marketing and Innovation Director at Griner Packaging, and Mike Curry, Director of Marketing at Schumann Cheese. And of course, we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from StoneX. For some reason, there seems to have been a lot of virtual events this last little while, both expos and webinars, and plenty more of them coming up. I think we're just going to have to wait and see what the spring brings when it comes to live events, but at least it's been busy. And so, let's get to this week's news from the industry. We had an interesting article on sustainable packaging, what does the future hold for dairy products? The Sealed Air Cryovac SVS45 for cheese packaging is now available. Kerry received approval for probiotic health claims in Brazil that the company said creates new market opportunities. And we also had some reactions to another big question, which no one can really answer at the moment, and that's what a new potential U.S. administration means for the U.S. dairy industry. Also in the U.S., the Real California Milk Snack Accelerator is down to the final four, and we had details on the four companies and their products. Hopefully an interview on that coming up shortly. Not today, though. The DBA Dairy Strong event has more details, including the speakers and programs. And some unfortunate news is that the UK's Ice Cream and Artisan Food Show will skip a year and be back in February 2022. It's a very friendly event, that one, one I always enjoy. Optima has launched a new infant formula machine, and UK retailer Tesco is changing its cheese packaging to save 260 tonnes of plastic each year. Canadian dairy company Saputo has received government funding to help implement measures to keep going during the pandemic, such as PPE and workstation separation. And speaking of government funding, here in Scotland, the government has agreed to pick up the tab for the school milk programme. It was originally paid for by the EU, but the UK is leaving the EU and the UK government hasn't agreed to pay for it, so the Scottish government will. When it comes to Brexit, 52% of people in the UK voted for it back in 2016, but in Scotland, 62% voted to stay, so there's a bit of tension there. And for the first time in a long time, polls here are suggesting there's a majority of people in favour of independence. So who knows how that will go? Never a dull moment. We had a roundup of a few new products on the dairy aisles as it's getting to the holiday season, and the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy and the EPA announced a memorandum of understanding. New SPX flow detectable valve seats improve dairy safety. A study has found no benefits of dairy foods for blood sugar reduction, and there is a new report by the Global Coalition on Aging and Nutritia on the role of nutrition in COVID-19 recovery, aging and health, which is very interesting, and we should have an interview about that for you as well on the podcast soon. You can read all of these stories and many more at dairyreporter.com. 
Okay, let's get to this week's guests. Christian Hansen is launching its Next Generation Premium Cultures, which the company says helps producers achieve their strategic goals. Whether they want indulgent high-texture yogurt with fewer additives, or to improve margins by reducing the need for expensive skim milk powder, or to create healthier premium yogurts with the optimal amount of probiotics. To tell us more about the cultures is Lasse Jørgensen, Senior Commercial Development Manager for Fresh Dairy at Christian Hansen. I wonder if you could first start with giving me the background on the new premium launches. Sure, Jim. I'm really excited about the new premium cultures that we are launching now. So um, they are the perfect partner for uh, fresh dairy producers committed to excellence. The launch features um, some exciting improvements of two of our most popular ranges, the Yoflex and the Nutrish. You might already know the Yoflex cultures, as they are known for high texture and mild flavor, while they obtain the ability to produce premium yogurts. And then we have the best documented probiotics, BB12 and LGG on top. And what was the reason for creating the new cultures? Well, in a time when uh, food is prepared and eaten at home more than ever before, dairy producers compete to win uh, the favor of consumers. And while taste is the primary differentiator for many dairies, most of the successful players in the industry understand that texture is the other half of the equation. And in a recent consumer study, we actually found that uh, texture is number one purchasing motivator for consumers when buying yogurts, after value for money, of course. So uh, to help producers, we have produced these uh, new cultures, uh, the Yoflex premium cultures, to help them meet consumer demands. And what do these new cultures address? Well, while taste and texture is important motivators for consumers when selecting yogurts, value for money uh, remains the most important factor. And in order to offer consumers these indulging yogurts at an affordable price, the dairy industry is constantly under pressure to stay competitive and improve their productivity in their operations. So to help producers, we have developed these next generation uh, premium cultures. And these cultures are unique because they give this exceptionally high texture and reduce the need for expensive milk powders. How does it help to reduce costs? Yeah, and we know that the fresh dairy industry is under constant pressure to remain profitable in a landscape with increasing costs. I mean, over the last four years, we have seen a 50% increase in skim milk powder prices, and players in the industry must continuously improve their productivity in order to remain competitive. And adopting these new cultures can help with this, enabling them to simplify their recipe and achieve optimal texture. So choosing the Yoflex Premium producers can reduce the cost of milk powder while maintaining the high level of texture that most consumers are craving for. And what other benefits does the uh, Yoflex Premium have? So uh, yogurt has been established as a classic food worldwide. And um, to maintain the place in the fridge around the globe, we partner with the dairy producers to increase the value of yogurt, where we focus on tasty, nutritious and natural benefits. And consumers are increasingly demanding more from these food brands, for example, natural ingredients, fewer additives. And in, actually in a recent study, we found that three out of four consumers feel that it's important that these food brands offer clean products. And Yoflex Premium is the perfect partner for this. And uh, could you tell me what the characteristics are of the Nutrish and the benefits of Nutrish? Sure. We are launching three new Nutrish Premium Cultures that includes the best documented probiotics, the BB12 and the LGG. And the Nutrish Cultures have been optimized to uh, deliver our probiotics at the right level throughout shelf life. This makes them real probiotics and the perfect partner for healthy yogurts with great taste and texture. And what would the main differentiators be to other products on the market that are already out there? Yeah, apart from the fact that Nutrish cultures are the best documented probiotics, you get a fast and resilient acidification. This allows you to maintain a safe yogurt production, and there is no delay in the acidification, and it brings you to a safe pH, which enables you to control your food safety. 
in addition, you get a robust texture development and a mild taste in the yogurt. And how are these improvements on what you already have in your portfolio? So we have taken the texture development in yogurt to the next level. This enables fresh dairy producers to improve their margins by reducing the use of skim milk powder and texturizers. In addition, you can combine this with our enzyme solutions like NolaFit for sugar reduction or our bioprotection solution, FreshQ. So it all comes together into one healthy yogurt. And so for the consumer, will they notice a difference? And what would that difference be in the end product? Yeah, that's a good question, Jim. I think that consumers will feel a difference when they taste the yogurts. I mean, consumers, they feel it's important that brands offer clean products without compromise on taste and texture. And we know that consumers are willing to pay a premium for that. Are we going to see at some point more in this particular portfolio? Oh, yes, sure, Jim. Um, these uh, Yoflex and Nutris premium 10 cultures that we are launching now is just the first in a series of premium cultures that is a perfect partner for yogurt producers in North America, Latin America, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, and Europe. So we will launch uh, cultures in different segments of the yogurt category, um, both in frozen and freeze-dried format. So uh, stay tuned. Do you have different cultures for different parts of the world, or is it just one product that you sell globally? No, uh, we have uh, different products for different applications in different worlds. So uh, the preference for yogurt cultures in China is not the same as uh, as what we appreciate in Western Europe and in North America. So. We need to develop products and cultures that are specific for the yogurt category and also for the different regions. For some regions, freeze-dried are more uh, used than frozen cultures. So you obviously have good market research around the world in order to be able to do that, to be able to know what's needed in different places. Yeah, sure. Um, We are very dedicated to getting close to our customers. So we have uh, regional application centers and local application centers close to the customers so that we understand what is going on in the market and have close collaboration with our customers. And this enables us to develop the culture specifically for the needs of our customers uh, around the world and using our well-equipped R&D facilities, both in uh, Denmark and in France, to develop these uh, cultures for our customers around the world. Are these the new products that are available now or are they just about to be available? Yeah, so the, the... Premium 10 cultures, both in the Yoflex and Nutris range, are available now. Customers can reach out to their local uh, Christian Hansen representative and can obtain cultures for trials and and projects. We uh, very much like to do partnership with our customers to further develop their portfolio with these uh, new cultures. Have you tested any of these with commercial companies or is it all done in-house? So since spring, we have been doing field trials with development partners, mostly in uh, in Europe, but also a little bit around the world. So we have been testing these at, I think it surrounds five or seven customers um, been testing those cultures. And uh, we have had positive feedback on uh, cultures so far. Next, we talked to Griner Packaging in Austria about its range of recycled materials and to learn more about recycling of things like polypropylene and polystyrene, as well as RPET and lots more. Jörg Sabo is the Global Marketing and Innovation Director at Griner Packaging. Okay, so I guess to to get things started, if we could um, just get a bit of background on... Griner packaging and the products that you have, especially as it relates to dairy? Sure. Griner packaging is a rigid plastic packaging company. And we're not only focusing on rigid plastic packaging, we have um, as well cardboard plastic combinations. I would say we have a very strong European footprint with around 30 locations in total worldwide. We are focusing on markets like dairy, food, but also as well on non-food markets. And we are selling typical products like cups, tubs, lids, bottles, and many more. Do you sell globally? We are selling globally. So we have um, two locations in Northern America, and we have two locations in Asia, and the rest of it is in, in Europe. What are the current issues that you see with packaging for the dairy industry in terms of sustainability? 
I would say one of the issues um, or are all the developings um, going on around the material plastic. You know, there's a single-use plastic directive coming from the European Union. There's a European Union circular economy action plan. Um, we have country-specific regulations, which brings a lot of uncertainty. Um, there are developments of legal framework. PS is banned in some countries. In some countries, um, there's a plan to ban stuff like plastic cutlery. And there's a plan that the European plastic tax is coming. And there are also plans that um, some countries uh, are charging for or have some kind of recycled content policy, which is like a recycling tax, which applies on, on products which have less than 30% of uh, recycled content in, in that. And this is, of course, a big challenge for the dairy industry, but also for the other industries. The questions we are getting asked so often is what makes a packaging sustainable? Um, is it the material or the CO2 savings um, you can achieve? Is it the use of recycling material? Or is it when you achieve a very high recycling rate? Um, how do you answer those questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, we typically have to look what are also the targets from, from our clients. So when our clients say they want to achieve a very high recycling rate for every product, then we have to um, consult them into that direction. Other clients say for them it is the most important thing to improve the CO2 footprint or to reduce plastic as much as possible. Then we consult them in a different way. The bad news is that there's unfortunately not a product which fits for every case and this makes the situation, let's say, um, challenging. And are there specific challenges for the dairy industry in this respect? Because obviously, when people talk about plastic, there are so many different kinds. I mean, there's the plastic bag that you carry your groceries in, there's the plastic that wraps around apples, but then dairy, there's other considerations, I would imagine, such as shelf life and spoilage and that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, we see one difficulty for the dairy industry. We identify for the dairy industry that the materials which are used there mostly are PP and PS. And when you think about um, the both materials, also the availability in regards to recycling materials who have a, a food approval, then we know that both materials are not so far as there is RPET. And there, I would say, comes RPET into the place. But RPET or the material PET has, let's say, one negative um, aspect in regards of the temperature, because especially in the dairy, um, we have some clients who have to use high temperatures, like for high temperature sterilization, which is around 120 um, degrees Celsius. And this is a big challenge for um, these materials. So we have now the situation that we have the material which is typically used, which has uh, not a good availability in, uh, in regards of recycling material. And then we have on the other hand side, a material which has a very good availability in regards to um, recycling material, but it is um, not so good from the material properties when it comes to high temperature. And this is also the reason why we looked into the situation and uh, trying to find a new solution um, for us, which we call RPD-HTS, which stands for High Temperature Sterilization. And uh, in the information that you sent through, there's a mention of mechanical and chemical recycled materials. Could you tell me what the difference is between those in terms of use in the industry? Sure. I mean, when we look into mechanical recycling, there is one big problem, and it is that the material has to be food authorized. And at the moment, there is only for RPT uh, food authorization available. For the other two materials, which are used mainly in the dairy industry, um, PS and PP, 
there is at the moment um, no solution on the market um, for mechanical recycling, but there are solutions coming soon. And what I can also say around mechanical recycling, because of the process, it has a better CO2 footprint than the chemical one, because the chemical needs more energy to the recycling process. And so how is Griner addressing some of this? What what are you trying to achieve? Well, it's always our ambition to never focus only on one solution. It doesn't matter if we talk about decoration technologies, if we talk about production technologies. Our idea is always to focus on many different things. And therefore, we are also looking when it comes to the recycling um, material into different directions. We make tests with chemical and as well as mechanical recycling um, materials, but we are also trying renewable material or we are even trying um, social plastic, which is also an interesting part, um, especially when it comes to a a brand story um, where it is a perfect fit to combine it. Important for me is um, that we are following in Greiner a customer-centric approach. Like when you asked me before the question, what is now the most sustainable packaging? I told you the answer is not so easy and it depends on the client. And we also see it into the direction of the materials. So we always check what are the requirements of our customers what kind of product um, they are trying to fill into the packaging. And when we know all the information, um, then we try to propose the best solution for them. For us, it's always important that on the client side, there are as less as possible changes in the filling process and also as less as cost possible. Do you work with the dairies directly on their own products or do you do it all in in-house in your own facility? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to do it in our productions to produce the packaging. But then as a next step, our clients have to be involved because when we only produce the packaging and we um, don't test it on the filling lines, make some some further tests um, with the product inside the packaging, then we don't see the result. So. I would also see or say one big challenge is that you have the right material in the right quantity and quality. And especially when you look into the availability of recycled material, um, then this is a, a really big challenge. And when you think a few steps further, when you see that there are recycling taxes coming, which mean when there's a packaging um, producer selling the package to a brand owner and he is using like less than 30% of recycled content um, in his packaging, then he has to pay taxes. And then there comes the challenge when the material is not available in the market or has no food approval because um, sometimes material is available, but there's simply no food approval available. And what is also a big challenge, of course, with the recycling material, that unfortunately, the prices are very high. So when you compare it to virgin material, um, the prices for recycling materials are very often twice as expensive than a classically virgin material. And this is something which has to be solved. What kind of work are you doing on recycled PP and recycled PS? Well, no matter if we talk about RPT, RPS, um, RPP, um, we make trials. For RPT, for example, uh, we make trials together with partners from the dairy industry, and there we test um, the high temperature stability during the filling process, for example. Um, When I go to RPS, here we have, for example, uh, a nice project together with Mikos Industry, where we have produced already PS cup um, from mechanical recycled um, material and um, they have filled in the food already. But for example, the situation around the materials are everywhere different. On the RPT, we have to solve some technical issues. On the RPS, 
RPS, mechanical recycled topic, for example, there are some other issues who have to be solved, like that the materials is getting food approved and it is getting only food approved when there are some tests going on where um, you can evaluate if it's good enough um, or not. And how long do you think it will be before we get to see some of these solutions in the marketplace? Yeah, we do, uh, again, um, depending on what kind of uh, material we are talking about. When we talk about the RPT HTS solution, I would really see we can see the first solution in the market around the second quarter of next year. When we talk, for example, about RPP chemically recycled projects, I can tell you already that we have a product going into the market right now. But here we have the challenge that the availability is still not um, very good. So we can um, use the material we have for some projects, but it is still not possible to serve the whole industry with that kind of uh, material. And when I look into RPS, here we have maybe a bit longer time frame behind it. And like the test we have made um, together with Migros industry in, in the Switzerland, um, we see here this product available in the shelves earliest 2022. Of all of these, which is the ideal solution or is it a combination of all of them? Uh, it's, I would say, the combination of all of them, really depending what kind of product um, our customers are filling into the packaging. For example, when we talk about customers who are using duo cups, um, who are very popular in the Switzerland, for example, then RPS is for them the best materials because you have to crack the, the packaging and um, to open it. When we talk to other clients who need a high temperature sterilization process, then they maybe need a different solution. And here most of our clients have RPP in place at the moment. And this is exactly the reason why we want to help them make use out of RPT HTS, how we, we name it, because it has the great um, availability. But as I've said, um, it's not easy to say RPT HTS is the only solution on the market. Um, you have to really look into the product you have to look into the filling lines and then have to see um, what kind of investments um, the clients have to make when they have to change something. And, and I guess this is something that you're constantly working on all of these different methods. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's always um, working close together with our partners, trying to understand um, their situation and think about how can you solve the problem as good as possible. And as I've mentioned before, for us, it's always important not to have only one solution um, in the market, because this would mean that we can not offer to our client the solution he maybe really needs. And this was always our, our approach. And yeah, therefore we try to be as flexible as possible as it is needed for our clients. All right. Something that you touched on a little bit earlier in terms of the cost of some of these things. Are these things that are cost effective or is it really a case of this is the, the future so they may have to pay a little bit more anyway? Yeah, this is a, a good question. And maybe this is also the reason where the taxes are coming into place. So when you look into some of the tax systems who are coming they try to really react on on the situation that virgin material is is much cheaper than the recycled material. Um, so I think this is one part of the game where they are trying um, to to solve the issue. Another issue, of course, is that the recycling rates have to improve a lot. And I think there's a, a lot of action going on. I mean, we have also developed a, a design guideline where we are looking into every product and, and have a look um, how we have to um, design it, that it is as good as possible to recycle the whole product. And 
I don't know if the products will therefore become more expensive in the future. I also had a few days uh, discussion with someone from our partners and we said, yeah, maybe it is at the end of the day, the consumer who has to pay a little bit more. But what is what he is getting back if the result is that the nature and the oceans are not full of plastic, then it is something which is also for a consumer understandable. And I think this is something we want to have that at the end of the day, the plastic or the packaging, it doesn't matter if you're speaking about plastic or other materials, are not ending up in the, in the countryside or in the oceans. And now it's over to the US for a conversation with Mike Curry, Director of Marketing at Schumann Cheese. The company produces the Cello brand, and in an effort to help consumers learn more about cheese, it's launched a Facebook Messenger chatbot that can answer questions about cheese. And Mike can tell us more about that, as well as more about the company. So could we start by getting a little background on the company? Yeah, so uh, I'm the director of marketing for Schumann Cheese, which is a uh, cheese company that's been around since uh, 1945. So it's a family-owned company, a fourth generation uh, that's involved in running the company. And you know, it started out as an importer of European cheeses into the New York City, uh, like I said, back in 1945. And, and since then, it's kind of really gone much further beyond uh, being an importer there's four different areas where you know Schumann cheese has expertise. As I mentioned, there's an importer bringing cheeses from you know European countries such as Italy and Spain and Greece, and also to some countries in, in South America. So really going out to identify some of the best cheeses around the world and then bring them into the U.S. Early 2000s, we actually became a producer of cheese. So that's the second area where I think uh, Schumann cheese has expertise. So we produce cheeses inspired by European you know, cheeses, such as Parmigiano-Reggiano and, and Pecorino-Romano, but made in the U.S. So it's a domestic product that just adheres to kind of the more European way of producing it. So I think we have a, a unique perspective on the products that we make. Another area where uh, we also have expertise is converting products. So regardless of the format that customer might need, you know, slices, shreds, wedges, cups, Whatever it is that the customer needs, you know, we can convert it to the format that they need. And finally, you know, Schumann Cheese, I think, is really known as an innovator. We've launched quite a few new platforms over the last few years that have really kind of taken the dairy and cheese industry by storm. You know, we created our Cello Wisps, which are dried cheese, 100% cheese snacks. So we launched that quite a few years ago. And more recently, we launched a plant-based cheese brand called Vivin. So departing from the typical uh, dairy cheese products to plant-based as well. We're all about quality cheese and, and just imparting that cheese knowledge uh, and working with our customers and our partners to bring better cheese to the world. I saw some of the cheeses on your website, some of the imported ones. How would you decide on, because there's, I mean, there's hundreds of cheeses in every European country, I think. How do you decide which ones you're going to import? Yeah, so we've been working with some partners for the, the whole 75 years we've been in existence. So we tend to work with just a small number of partners, and we prefer to go an inch wide and a mile deep. So we work with those partners to identify you know, other cheese types that they produce that we feel might fit the palate of American consumers. You know, American consumers, I, I would argue, prefer milder cheese types than kind of bolder, stronger flavors. So making sure that we kind of err on the side of a, a more approachable cheese type, and then also looking at trends within the U.S., you know, where certain cheeses are growing and, hey, you know, are there cheeses out there in the world that kind of have a similar flavor profile to what Americans prefer? And then we look to kind of bring those over that fit a profile, but also has kind of the upscale and the cachet that an imported product might have. What are you seeing as any, are you seeing any trends in cheese at the moment or upcoming trends? Yeah, I'd say there are two trends that are really coming to the fore within the, the cheese industry. You know, one has been around for a while, but, uh, you know, snacking is something that is just going to continue to grow as it becomes a, a bigger part of the American uh, way of eating. Millennials are, are really driving that shift and, you know, they're potentially snacking up to four times a day. So it's really becoming... Instead of a three meal a day, 
typical eating style, it's becoming more grazing and snacking. So to me, snacking is a huge trend and, and cheese is playing a much bigger part of that as people realize the importance of protein and, and calcium in their diets, that a product that has you know, both a cheese and say a fruit or a nut combination gives them that little, that combination of, you know, of satiety from the, the protein and the cheese to like the crunch and the sweetness of, of the fruits and, and nuts. So that to me is becoming a, a much bigger play for consumers as they realize, you know, if you eat just a cookie or a cracker, it doesn't quite have that long lasting effect uh, that something with protein might have. And Millennials today are, are, are not only snacking, but they're using snacks as meal replacements. So they do need a little bit more to a snack, and that's where cheese really comes in. And you might think that you know snacking and impact COVID and a lot of people staying at home for work or whatnot might not be snacking, but it's not just the portability of snacks that I think is key to the increased usage. It's also that it's very little prep, it's very little cleanup. Even within your living quarters, you know, you can take it from your kitchen to your office or to your family room or wherever you're watching TV. So it's portability within the house, uh, I think, that people are also uh, latching onto, not just, hey, I can grab it as I walk out the door. So you know, for those reasons, I think snacking will continue to be a key trend uh, within the cheese industry. And then another trend that I, I'm seeing is, is obviously plant-based cheeses are, are continuing to grow. A few years ago, vegan uh, lifestyles were probably very niche. Uh, I think over the last few years, more people are adopting that lifestyle or adopting more of a flexitarian diet where they're doing meatless Mondays or they're doing other sorts of ways where they're cutting back on dairy or meat products. And they're more willing to try plant-based products than they were in the past. And cheese, we've had quite a few brands in the past that have come out with plant-based cheeses, but more and more folks are, are entering it. And Schumann is also uh, one of the, the latest entrants who has you know, cheese making experience. You know, we've been in the cheese business for 75 years. We've been making it for decades. You know, we know what cheese is supposed to taste like. And with the launch of our Vivan product, we're getting pretty close to the taste of dairy cheese that consumers are familiar with. So I think that there's just a, a move towards being more open with the types of diets, whether it's vegan or flexitarian. And now cheese is able to kind of offer up a product that mimics the product that they grew up with. And, you know, that's another trend that we're seeing in the cheese industry. Uh, has the pandemic affected cheese sales or your business? You know, it has affected the entire cheese industry for sure. And, and certainly our business has changed quite a bit. I'd say that in the U.S., there's really just been a shift from eating out of home and in, say, restaurants and cafeterias to more eating in home. And, and that certainly shifted you know, the products that are being sold and, and where they're being consumed. So, you know, the food service industry might be down quite a bit, but, you know, retail, grocery stores, you know, the cheese industry is seeing quite a bit of a lift there. So, not sure what the final uh, result is, but it's more of a shift in sales and where people are consuming it as opposed to, say, a drop off in, in cheese consumption. You know, another area that I'm seeing from a marketing perspective is how people approach the specialty cheese section, you know, where demos are typically how they learn about new cheeses and how to pair cheeses and live demos in-store sampling is just not happening during COVID for safety reasons. So we've had to kind of shift our marketing mix uh, away from in-store demos and, and finding other ways in which we can help educate our consumers and help educate shoppers so they can learn more about the category and feel more confident in the products that they're they're buying. So one of the tactics we're utilizing now are more virtual demos in store. So we'll have kind of a, a kiosk where the products are on display, but there were, you know, there's signage there. There's a QR code where people can scan and learn more about it. So rather having that one-on-one -on -one interaction with the person, you're kind of doing it more on your own and scanning to learn more about the product before you, you make that purchase. So that's just one new tactic that we're utilizing, you know, during the COVID pandemic. You know, another tactic that we're utilizing more is, you know, social media, where we have fans who like the brand, who like our products, and we send them new products that we're, we've recently launched to get their input and then have them talk about it. 
because you know when a brand says hey this product is great try it you know there's some skepticism but when your friends have tried it and they're talking about how great it is you're a little bit more willing to try it so we're leveraging our social community to kind of get that social proof out there that hey these are great cheeses and they're recommended and endorsed by people that have credibility and you know that's where people are kind of replacing that live in-store sampling demo as a way to understand more about the cheese and are they going to like it or not? All right. My friend tried it. They liked it. I'll give it a shot. And I think that's kind of uh, where we're now going with our support in terms of dealing with the pandemic. You mentioned the fact that in the U.S. consumers have a specific palate. Do consumers have a good grasp of the different variety of cheeses available? And specifically, you have cheeses that they may not have heard of. Do, do they have a good grasp or is it really essential that you do communicate with them on what they're like? Well, the, the U.S. Uh, cheese market is fairly uh, unique, I would say, uh, from places that I've seen in Europe, where we have two sections in the store where consumers can buy cheese. We have cheese in the dairy section uh, where you buy your milk and eggs. And those are you know, more commodity type cheeses like a cheddar or mozzarella, very mild and, and very safe, I would say, cheeses. And then people can live their whole lives and, and only think that those are the cheeses available. But there's another section of the store in our deli department that we sell specialty cheeses, and they might not even know that that section exists or that we sell cheeses in, in those areas. So that's a whole new area that consumers might not be familiar with. And, you know, it's kind of, I would say, up to me and folks in, in my position to kind of help show these new consumers that there are a whole new world of cheeses out there, whether they're imported from other parts of the world or they're kind of, you know, unique cheese types that we make here domestically or more premium or upscale cheeses, kind of just let them know that that area exists and also to kind of let them know what all those cheeses taste like or what they are used for and why they're different. There's just so many different cheese types within the specialty cheese section and so many different brands, so many different formats. It can be quite intimidating for someone who's new to the category. And typically in the past, what you would do is if you went there, you could ask someone, say, hey, you know, what does this cheese taste like? What does this pair well with? But fewer and fewer stores have, you know, what are known as cheesemongers where, you know, they can answer those questions and kind of help lead shoppers in the right direction. There's just no one there to help them. So as they enter this new category in this strange section of a store that they've never seen before, and they're basically faced with you know, hundreds of choices to make and no one is there to see them or, or no one is there to help them, it is quite intimidating and, and it can cause quite a bit of confusion and, and frustration. And you know, I think that's really where you know, we're starting to help them out. Cello, one of the brands within Schumann Cheese, is really you know, launching a campaign about helping consumers cheese confidently or to have that confidence in buying specialty cheese so they can find it, they can pair it, they can enjoy it uh, all with confidence. And that's where we're going to help them learn about new cheese types and help them learn about all the different cheeses from around the world. And, and that's really what uh, you know, Cello is, is all about right now. Does that extend to things like, obviously, you, you mentioned pairing, but does it extend to things like which ones are good for meltability, which ones are good in cooking recipes, that kind of thing? Cello has recently launched a chatbot that we're hoping will help consumers answer those sorts of questions. So, you know, it's built on AI through Google Dialogflow, and it really is built to answer those common questions that people have about cheese, and especially cheese. So, you know, again, it's the pairings, it's, you know, what recipes can I use in this cheese, or I'm making this recipe, what cheese can I use in it? So it's really all those basic questions that, you know, novice cheese lovers might have. And, you know, we're helping arm them with those tools to kind of figure that out on their own. As I mentioned, there's no one in the store these days to help them answer those questions. So we're giving them basically kind of a cheesemonger in the palm of their hand through their mobile uh, where they can ask those questions and really understand and learn more about cheese types and learn more about pairings and recipes and all sorts of interesting things. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was kind of what caught my eye about the whole thing was this chatbot, because I think people are now getting used to them popping up on e-commerce sites, although I must admit some of them get a little bit frustrating because if you ask them a question that's slightly different, you get the strangest of answers or they just repeat the same answer four or five times. But what kind of questions can and can't it handle? Yeah, so... 
I understand how chatbots are certainly becoming a bigger part of, I would say, consumers' uh, repertoire in terms of learning things. And, you know, when you first start out with a, a chatbot, you know, that's going through, you know, machine learning, it is certainly a, a learning process and a growing process where they might not be exposed to every possible question, you know, that someone might have, but you hear that question enough, or if it gets a question it doesn't know, we can, you know, train it and, and teach it. So it'll it'll get better as it goes and more and more questions come in. We we know what the questions are that people are asking. So, you know, some of the questions that they might be able to answer is what beers pair well with a cheddar or, you know, what wines go well uh, with, say, a brie. So those are sorts of questions, common questions. You know, what are cheeses that go together well on a cheese board? You know, how do I build a cheese board? Where is Parmigiano Reggiano from, you know, and, and how is it made? You know, what are the types of cheeses that are made with sheep's milk as opposed to cow's milk? So, you know, these are commonly asked questions that people who know the category well would probably already know. But someone who's new to the category, who's faced with, you know, all sorts of different cheese types and formats and brands, it's intimidating. So we can't expect everyone to know these basic cheese facts right from the beginning. And that's kind of where, you know, we're coming in with this chatbot to help you know, at least at that foundation, you know, we're not going to be able to answer all of those kind of really detailed questions or, you know, what is the, the pH of this cheese versus that. Those are sorts of things that we're not really geared to answer, but it really is more of like, hey, someone who's in front of a cheese section trying to figure out, hey, you know, what does, you know, this cheese taste like versus that, you know, we can certainly help deliver the basics for them to at least get started. And then they can then explore uh, a bit more on their own and, and increase their cheese knowledge as they go. And is it something that you can change and adapt as you go? We can certainly teach the chatbot to kind of respond in the right way. And, you know, we've used, I mentioned Google Dialogflow is what we're using to power this. And it does its best to kind of answer in a way that feels like it's intuitive, like it's almost like a person who's answering because, you know, it is quite frustrating to, to ask a question where maybe you misspell a word or you don't ask in the proper way or you forget the question mark and it doesn't know what to do. It doesn't, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, it spits out garbage or whatever, you know, that could be frustrating because it's like, you know, this isn't helpful at all. But, you know, again, as we continue to use the chatbot, it, it, it'll learn and it'll understand different ways that these questions are being asked and it can then provide better answers and it'll just provide a better experience overall. So it's still early days and, you know, we're, we're excited to see a lot of the questions that are coming in. So that'll help us better understand who our consumers are and, and what questions they have and the needs that they have in the category where their frustrations are. And that helps us just be better at responding to them and answering the questions or creating products that fit more with what they're looking for. And, you know, it's just a, a great way for us to learn, but also for our consumers to learn about specialty cheese. Obviously, we, we've got some skin in the game in, in developing this that we want consumers to hopefully migrate towards cello products. But, you know, we answer questions about products that we don't have or we don't produce or we don't even import. We just want people to just understand the category more, whether they buy our products or not. If they're more confident in buying specialty cheese, then we'd be pretty happy. You were mentioning how, how it works in terms of the, the answers. If it gets to a point where the answer isn't sufficient or they want more information? Are they able to kind of ask an actual question through email or through messages if they get to that point? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that we can do with those. Obviously, you know, there's an opportunity for them to go to our website where there's, you know, a whole host of, of information about the cheeses we offer. We have a whole host of blogs and things that answer typical questions. But at some point, you dig enough and you don't get the answer that you want. You, you do want to talk to a live person or talk to someone who can kind of really understand what you're getting at. So there is an opportunity for them to then email to our customer service team and, and we typically get back to them within 24 hours. So it's not as automatic as just answering a question of the bot and getting that immediate response, but it will be a thorough response and it will certainly answer the question that they have, hopefully to their satisfaction. How do consumers access it? Is it through Facebook? Yeah, so it's a Facebook Messenger app, which has you know, over a billion users worldwide. You know, we would say it's on the the, the most uh, ubiquitous platform uh, that it can be. You know, we also have it tied to our website, so as people are, are surfing, you know, the web or they're on our website, you know, there is an opportunity to interact with the chatbot right there. And you know, we're also looking at ways to have it at shelf 
QR codes that we'll put up at shelf that they can access the chat bot. You know, when they're right there trying to make a cheese selection, they're struggling, you know, they can click the QR code and it'll bring it up and they can ask their question there. So to me, that's the ultimate goal is that's where the frustration is. You know, I can't find a cheese that I want, you know, Hey, the recipe calls for cheese X, but I can't find it. Is there a cheese Y that is a good replacement? That's really where you need to have this at your disposal. And now it's over to Dublin for our weekly look at what's happening in the global dairy markets with Stone X's Liam Fenton. It is a bit more active uh, this week for dairy with both butter and skim milk powder coming out a bit stronger on the future side. I guess skim milk powder was largely influenced by the uh, O'Neill tender back in the market and also the fact that uh, the GDT was strong yesterday for skim milk powder. Butter also, I think it's on the back of cream has been uh, has been trading stronger, which is always due this, due this time of year to, to Christmas demand. So we had uh, Nov Deck up around 50 euros in the week to 33.30 level. Quarter one butter was up around 60 euros on the week to 3300 quarter two was up over 100 euros at around the 34 10 level and then quarter three of 2021 was up around uh, 35 euros on the week to 34.75 level uh, skimmel powder was up around 50 euros to the 21.85 level in Novdeck and up around 45 euros to the 22.15 level in quarter one it was up almost 40 euros then to around uh, 22.55 level in quarter two and up around 50.55 euros in quarter three to 22.70.75 level. We remain unchanged. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. Stone X, formerly INCLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that just about does it for another show. I've already got three interviews done for next time and another seven interviews lined up for the next week, which will keep me busy, but it's always nice to talk to people. And it's nice to have choice for the podcast too. I received an email from our head office this week to say I've not used up all of my vacation days for 2020, so I'm going to be working four-day weeks for a while, which is great other than having to cram all the work into four days instead of five, so I'll probably end up working anyway, which is fine when you consider that we're in a lockdown and with never-ending rain. So, on that note, I hope where you are you have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.